Pastor Chris is not with us this morning. He is good. He is just at Marysville this week. So he was over there. Uh, we're actually presenting, preaching the same sermon this week. So this is a fun thing for the two of us we've never done before. But um, I pray that you'll be blessed and uh, that they had an amazing service. Their service is actually done with for this morning, but he's over there today. So I get to bring you the word, and I am so excited. Um, as we have been in the studying the story of Joseph, how many of you have enjoyed this series on Joseph? Come on, yeah, it's been so good, hasn't it? Getting to learn about the life of Joseph and about what that looks like for us. How does that apply to our lives? And seeing the life that Joseph had, what it is that he went through, and what God has done in him and through him over the course of his life. It's been incredible. We've seen how he has, how he's overcome circumstances that have been difficult. We've seen how he has shown forgiveness to people when, in all honesty, they seem to have deserved everything but forgiveness. And yet he had allowed the Lord to work on him and in his own life that he was able to do those things. And so we find ourselves now at the end of the bit that we know of Joseph's story. And so today we're going to continue on. We're going to be looking a little bit at how we go from darkness to light and what that looks like for us. So if you would, if you have your Bible with you or if you have it on your phone or it's also going to be on the screen, if you would turn, we're going to be in Genesis 49 and 50 for the most part this morning. And that's where we're going to start. It'll be Genesis 49 starting in verse 33 says, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. Well, I promise this is going to be a uh, an encouraging story, and it's not going to be all about death, but that is where we start today. This death of Jacob was actually the final death of the three major patriarchs that we have in the Bible. When you'll see throughout scripture where it refers to the father, fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and these were great men and heroes of the faith that we have to look at, that we have to look up to, that we have uh, that have been guiding, guiding our story. But this is not the end. It might be the end of their stories, but it's not the end of God's story. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. It says, Joseph fell on his father's face, wept over him, and kissed him. If you could imagine with me how Joseph would have felt in this moment. Joseph was the favored son of Jacob. He was the one who he gave the coat of many colors, who his father loved. And then he had this dream that set everything into chaos for him. So he had this dream. He told his brothers about the dream. And his brothers decided then that they no longer thought that he should live and threw him in a den of lions for the lions to do with him whatever they felt to do. So Joseph at that moment was separated from his father. He had a good relationship with his father, and now he was separated. And then we see as the story goes on that Joseph was then reunited with his father. So after many years and many circumstances, he was finally back with his father. And now we see 
that his father has died. Can you imagine that scene? It was dramatic. It was emotional. It says he fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Just when things start looking up sometimes, right, we're like, ah, things are finally getting where we want them to be, and then chaos happens, or the light goes away, or what we think was going to happen still didn't happen. And it can be frustrating, and it can be difficult. It also says that the Egyptians mourned for him for 70 days. It was all the nation of Israel, or, or of Egypt, sorry, came and mourned for Jacob for 70 days. So in Egypt, if, it, if he had been royalty, they would have mourned for him for 72 days. So Jacob was mourned for 70. So this tells us that Jacob was a highly honored man in their, in their area. I mean, do you know anybody that you're going to have people like just a whole nation mourning somebody for 70 days? That's a long time. And it's because they honored him. Now, looking back over Jacob's life, he didn't always do things that were honorable. He did a lot, and he had to have done a lot for them to honor him in this way. But Jacob had done things wrong in his life. Joseph had done things wrong in his life. But they pushed through, and they kept going. They kept doing the next right thing. These guys were patriarchs, not because they never went through anything. They went through some stuff, but they pushed through. And they push through to the other side. We're never going to get to the good part unless we learn how to deal with the dark part. We're never going to get to what God has for us if, we're, if we don't go through the stuff that is in front of us. If we just give up, we'll never make it. We might have to make it through a few difficult seasons before it gets good. You know, when we're creating something for God or creating anything in general, hopefully you're doing it to the Lord because the Bible tells us to do all things as unto the Lord. But when we're starting new things, I'll give you a few examples. Starting a new sermon. As I was writing this and working on it, like at first it's like, oh, this is really exciting. And then you start writing down all these bits and pieces and you have all this stuff. And then it's just like a whole bunch of stuff on a piece of paper and you're like, I don't know how any of this is going to make sense to anybody. God, what are you doing? What do you want to say? How do you want this to come about? And you have the choice in that moment to scrap it all and give up or to push through to what it is that God's wanting you to say. Or let's say you start a new job and you have all, you're excited about a new job, you're excited about this opportunity, and then you get into it and you realize what actually that job is going to have you do. And it's not all just the fun things that you wanted to do, but there's all kinds of stuff that's not actually a part of what you want to do, you have to do. And you're like, do I actually want to do this? I don't know. And you have the choice. Do you give up and start something new, or do you push through? Changing a habit can be like this. If, whether it's stopping doing something that is harmful to you, or whether it's starting doing something that will be a benefit to you. Here, we're here, this is the 30th of January, and if you're like me, you might have set some goals for the beginning of the year. I don't like any resolutions. I don't know, just the change of word makes it seem less scary. I'm not sure. But I set some goals, and one of those goals was just to work out a little bit more because I want to be healthy. I want my heart to be in good condition. I want my lungs to be good. Honestly, I have a goal that I want to go to Arizona and visit my parents, and I want to go hiking and it not be like I'm out of breath in the first five minutes. Like, really, that's my goal. And so I started working out. 
did really, really well for the first three weeks. And then this last week, I was busy, I was tired, I didn't want to do it, and I had all the excuses to not do it. And you're like, yeah, just not going to do it. One day is not too bad, and before you know it, it's been seven, and you still haven't done it. That's where I was at this week. It's starting a new habit, a new goal to do, and you start it, and it gets hard, and it's really easy to just quit. So, mark my word, I, as long as I feel great tomorrow, I plan to start working out again tomorrow because it's good. But the point is, is that when you start something new or you're going through something, there's going to be temptations. There's going to be memories that maybe make it so it's difficult for you to move forward. There's going to be things that come up, and we have a choice in those moments of what we do with that. Do we give up or do we keep going? Do we stop when it's hard or do we push through to get to the good parts? Because if you'll push through, there is something good on the other side. Every process has a dark part where you potentially want to quit. You might have to push through negative feedback. I mean, Joseph got some pretty harsh feedback from what his dream looked like. It might be self-doubt or something that you're telling yourself. It could be frustration. You might have to try and try and try again. But there's always a part of every process that is dark, and it might even arrive just before you get to the good part. You don't know. You could be right on the brink of a breakthrough. and You don't know. You don't know what it looks like. You have to push through the dark part to get to the good part. But you also, as you're pushing through, you also cannot sabotage it. We have this tendency, I think, as humans to just as things start getting good, that we start to sabotage it. Joseph's brothers did this. In chapter 50, verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. First of all, it says, it may be, right? They don't even know but they're assuming what they think that they know. It says the brothers here were afraid. They were afraid because the only thing that they believed was protecting them from the anger and the wrath of Joseph was their father. They thought that surely now that dad is gone, Joseph will kill us now because he doesn't need to keep dad happy any longer. Maybe it was just a front he was putting on because you know, he, he wanted to save face, but really, now it's time. Now he wants to kill us. Now he wants to pay us back for the torture that we put him through. And it said that he may repay us for all the evil that we did to them. They are acknowledging that they know that what they did was wrong, and it was straight up evil what they did. So they worried about justice. They worried about righteous retribution because they knew they deserved it. Joseph, in the, the status that he held in that nation, had every ability to bring about the retribution that they so feared. But how often do we do that in our lives that we project onto other people what we assume they are thinking, or we project onto them what we think they want to do or what, they, what we think should happen? We can do it even with the Lord, right? Joseph had this dream. Joseph thought what the dream would be. What if God gives us a dream where he tells us something and we think it's supposed to go one way, and yet that's not the way the story is supposed to go at all? 
We only see things through the lens of our eyes, not through other people and not through even the Lord sometimes. The brothers clearly don't always think in positive ways. Like we know that, right? Joseph tells them the dream and they automatically jump to the conclusion that that dream meant that Joseph would be lording over them, that he would be that they would have to bow to him and that they would be servants to him, but in a sense that it was being forced on them, not in the way that he was saving them. Because that's what is happening, is that Joseph ends up saving them, not lording over them. It's easy to assume the worst and then be surprised by something good happening than it is to be hoping for something good to happen and then be disappointed because it doesn't happen that way. And so we have the tendency to sabotage ourselves because it's just going to go bad anyway. So I don't want to be disappointed. Or to cut off a friendship when it gets hard because I'm just going to get hurt anyway. So why even try? Why bother putting myself out there when people are just people and they're going to hurt me or to give up on relationships too soon because it takes a lot of work. Being married and being in a relationship is not easy. Being a friend is not easy all the time. It takes a lot of work. But don't sabotage your life because you're waiting for the worst thing to happen or you're afraid of what the future might hold. We spend more time worrying about what we think will happen than living in what's actually happening. The brothers here should have been comforting one another. They all lost somebody very dear to them. Those brothers lived with their dad for a long time. Joseph loved his dad and was just reunited with them. And where they should have been comforting one another and been surrounding each other, they instead were worrying about, well, now what's going to happen? And something that wasn't even happening. They just thought it would. So don't sabotage yourself because you can't just wait and figure it out when you're stuck or when it's hard, thinking it's always going to be that way. If Joseph had done that, he would never be where he is. And he just said, this is it. I'm just stuck here forever. This is how it's going to be. If he didn't push through and he didn't listen to the Lord, he wouldn't be where he is now. You have to wait for the good part. If it's good, it came from God. And if it doesn't come from God, It'll still be good because he works all things together for good. We know this because in Romans 8, 28, it says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Does not mean that all things are good. And I think that's important to understand that when you're going through something, it's a dark time, it's hard, doesn't mean that it is good itself. But it means that God is good and that he turns things into good. When we call something good, we have to understand something about God. God doesn't call something good based on how you feel when it's happening. He doesn't call something good based on how it matches your preference or what you think should happen. God says it's good when it serves its purpose. And there is purpose. If you are, if you are alive, you have purpose. And you have to push through those things to get to the stuff, the purposes that he has for you. Don't sabotage your purpose for a short-term problem. We can only see right here, but there is more beyond what we can see than what we're seeing right now. And we don't know what could, will happen and what will come out of the seasons that we're in. 
So we have to push through. But in order to do that, sometimes we have to, we have to really find intimacy. We have to find intimacy with one another and vulnerability. We need to find intimacy with the Lord so we really know who he is. Genesis 50, 16 through 18, it goes on to read, So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Before your father died, he commanded, they said. So there's conflicting commentaries that say whether or not Joseph's father actually said this or if they just decided to say it. But irregardless, the fact that they felt the need to come to Joseph and say, before your father died, he said. They understood that they did not have the moral right to come before Joseph and ask him for mercy. They understood that he should not show them mercy. So they felt that the only way to do that was to request it by, the, by what their dead father had said. Be- because that would bring on, because Joseph would need to honor what his father had requested. So my kids do this all the time. Um, I don't know if, you're, if you have kids, if your kids do this, but frequently I will get the, well, first of all, I'll hear from another room sometimes. Like I'll be sitting in a room, I hear my kids in the other room typically fighting because you only do this when you're in trouble or you're fighting. But they're like, mom says that you have to do such and such a thing. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, no, that is not what I said. I might agree, but it's not what I said. I'm like, you are lying right now. That's not what mom or dad said. You can't say that. Or I'll have Chandler come into the room. He actually did this just last night. Comes in and he's like, mom, can you tell me to tell them that you said that they had to listen to me? And I'm like, why do I need to do that? Because they'll only listen if you said it. So I'm like, okay, fine. Yes, I say that they have to let you do that. Now, typically then it involves an older kid coming to me and saying, that's not what's happening, and this is why we said no. You know, it's just a whole ordeal. But they need to be able to say, mom or dad said. Now, there's also the occasion where they'll call me, and they'll typically be, again, fighting on the other line, And they're fighting, and I'm like, listen, what you need to do is tell them that I said to stop it or something's going to happen. Typically, I don't even know what that something is going to be, but I'm like, listen, your dad will get you when he comes home. So you better stop. Tell them that mom says stop. So then they typically, you know, run off smiling and laughing because they're like, ha, 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 I get to get my siblings in trouble. Mom says, so they have to listen. Anyway, that's what the brothers were doing here, though. If we tell Joseph that dad said, then he has to do it. But then it goes on to say that after they said this, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And why would he weep? Because he understood that they probably thought very little of him. That they felt they didn't know him. They didn't know his character. They just assumed that that's how he was going to respond. And so they had to say, well, dad said this. And that probably really upset him. I know it upsets me when people assume the worst of me because they don't know who I am. They don't know 
that part of my story, they don't know the whys. They just assume. It's hurtful, isn't it? They don't realize that Joseph recognizes that he is who he is in spite of what's happened in his life. He doesn't blame them. He understands because he understands the heart of God. This was a moment of vulnerability for Joseph, and he displays this several times in their story, that he was open. And it doesn't mean you have to cry to be vulnerable, but it just shows us that he was someone who was willing to be vulnerable and willing to show what it was he was feeling and what he was thinking. We're never going to get to the good part if we're unwilling to go through the dark part. But also some people are never going to get to intimacy within relationships because they won't push through their insecurity. And honestly, you won't get through the dark parts if you're not willing to let go of your insecurity. So often we never get to experience true relationships because we'll never get through the insecurities that we have and be vulnerable with others. So I mentioned before that we're getting ready to start a new season of life groups. And I promise this is not a life group sermon. But I am going to share this because it's important. Community is important. And being in people's lives and each other's lives is important. You are not going to build community. You are not going to build relationship by sitting here on Sunday morning for the hour that we're here. It's important and it is good and we're glad you're here, but this is not where you're going to build relationship. That's going to happen when you have people out for meals or you have people in your home or you take time to study the word and to pray together and be together. That's where you're going to grow in intimacy. That's where you're going to build relationships. And so often we hear people with the, all the reasons why, they, why you can't, but we also hear all the reasons why you need it. You know, you talk about, well, I don't have the ability to lead. What if somebody comes to my group and they're smarter than me? Well, let me tell you what, there are plenty of you out here that are smarter than me this morning. But that doesn't disqualify you from being able to lead and being able to share what God is doing because he calls you and he qualifies you. And so it doesn't matter that someone in your group might be smarter than you. Great, learn from one another. Because it's not about somebody leading the group. It's about people coming together and sharing and growing. Um, your, your house is too big. My house is too small. It's not good enough. You don't have to have it at your house if that's it. If that's what's hindering you, then come talk to us. We'll figure out a way for you to be able to lead. If God is calling you to lead a life group, you need to say yes to him. Because we need to walk in obedience to him. But also some of you might not want to attend a group. Because it takes a lot of commitment. It's a lot of time. Or maybe you, you don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want people to know that side of you. You don't want them to know what your past was or what your story looks like. Don't let the enemy shut your mouth because you're ashamed of the testimony that God has in your life. Your testimony is your story, and it's good, and that is good, and it's the process that God is taking you through. You should not be ashamed of it, and your story needs to be heard, and it might just encourage someone else sitting in that group with you. So I want to challenge you this morning to sign up for a life group or to sign up to lead a group because you need to be vulnerable. You need to be able to share, and we need one another. If you want a friend, be a friend. Have people over. If you, I tell you what, my life group, they are the ones that we call when we need something. They're the first ones that I say, hey, we need prayer on something. Would you join with me? Or anything like that. They're there. And why? Because we spent time together and we've spent time investing in each other's lives. It's easier 
to assume that the Josephs will want to kill you than to humble yourself and show vulnerability. So again, I encourage you to sign up today. It will be awesome. But also because we need to be intimate with one another and vulnerable with one another because that's when we really, I believe, share the heart of God. It's where you get to those deep places and it becomes something more. And so push through your insecurity so you can find true intimacy. It will help you to then do this final step, which would be to step into the light. You can't sabotage it. You have to push through the dark. You have to find intimacy, and you have to step into the light. Genesis 50, 19 through 21. Say, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Am I in the place of God? Joseph says, Joseph recognized that it was not his job to bring retribution on his brothers. It was not his job to set them in their right place and to bring justice to them. It was God's. And I'll be honest, you know, sometimes you think of situations and it could be easy to look at a situation somebody goes through and you know what they've done to somebody else and be like, yeah, they deserved that. We, I was joking a little bit ago, actually, about um, the football game today. The, if you didn't know, the Super Bowl is in two weeks, and today are the final two games deciding who's going to be in the Super Bowl. And the, the Bengals are playing the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, go Bengals. Um, but I grew up in Kansas City, and so in some ways I'm like, man, I should probably cheer for the Chiefs, but I can't. And this is why, because I know people who are diehard Chiefs fans, who are people I knew from when I lived in Kansas City, and I'll be honest, they're just a little irritating. And they gloat a lot, and I honestly just want to see them lose so that they, well, maybe so that they don't gloat anymore. And so then I was like, well, maybe this message is for me because I'm like, yes, you deserve it because you gloated. They should lose. I'm really just kidding. But... That's how, that's how we can be at times. And it is a scary place when truly in our lives, beyond football, when we get, if we get to a place that we think that about other people, that they deserve whatever circumstance they're in because we're not God. And it's not our place to decide what does or does not happen to people. Our job is to do further down where it, where it says that Joseph comforted them, spoke kindly to them, and said that he would provide for them and their little ones. He showed kindness and comfort and love rather than showing justice and taking the, that action upon himself. Because Joseph trusted the overarching hand of God, even in all the evil that came upon him through his brothers, he showed love and compassion on them. But not only in word, and feelings, but he also did it in, physical, in a physical act because he did take care of them. He did take care of their little ones. He did take care of their problems and provide. Often the problem we have in loving others and in freeing ourselves from the bitterness that we may have towards them is really a problem of not knowing who God is and trusting him to be who he says he is. When we feel the need to take things into our own hands, it just shows that we don't truly know who God is. 
because we can trust him to be who he says he is. When we know God, we can truly say, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And that's what Joseph said. He didn't romanticize the sins of his brothers. He acknowledged it because he said, what you meant is evil against me. So he said, you did something wrong. But he's like, but I'm not going to dwell on that. Instead of speaking to my problem, instead of speaking to my circumstances, instead of speaking to what it is that I'm going through, instead I'm going to speak about the goodness of God and that it is good. It doesn't matter what it looks like right now because God is good and it is good. And he understood that. Joseph didn't have the text that we read before of Romans 8.28, but he understood the principle of it. He understood the truth that God works all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Sadly, a lot of us, even though we have that text and we know that, we can often sit in those dark places. We can often sit in what's hard. We can sit in accepting just what's happening, but instead of accepting it, we need to push through. Pushing through those dark places does not mean we accept it. Pushing through it just means that we know that there is something on the other side. Joseph instead turned to the immediate good in the situation, that many people should be kept alive. He said, it doesn't matter what happened. God meant it for good, and it was so many people would stay alive. See, Joseph understood that if this large family did not come to Egypt and live, it would have perished in the famine. And had the family barely survived, it would have assimilated to the Canaanite tribes surrounding it. Only by coming to Egypt could they be preserved and grow into a distinct nation. Only by doing that could they fulfill what God had promised to become the nation. It's interesting here to me that at the end of Joseph's story, he says that it's good. This is in chapter 50. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1 at the beginning, it's where we for the first time see God call something good. The first day of creation, God says that light is good. And in Genesis 50, Joseph looks back on his life, all that he's been through, and says it was good. We all need faith to see that if it came from God, it is good. And if it's good, it came from God. It might not be good right now, but it will be when God's done with it. And here's how we see that. In Genesis 1, verses 4 and 5, it says that God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Why did it say the evening then the morning? In our day, we typically talk about the morning and then the evening, right? You're like, I woke up this morning and I went to bed in the evening. And here, the Bible says from the evening to the morning. Because we have to remember how it started. In Genesis 1, 1 through 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God starts good in the dark. It was without form. It was void. It had nothing. And God turned, spoke light into existence, and he called it good. But it came out of darkness. 
You might be in the dark right now. You might be confused. You might be wondering where God is, why he put you there, why he left you there, why you're going through what you're going through. The dark part's just a preview of how, God, how big God really is because it's just where things start getting good. It's just the beginning, but you can't stop in the dark part. The dark part is a prelude to the morning when you walk with God. When we walk with God, we know that it's all good. It will be good because he's good. As we close this morning, I want to leave you with a final thought. As we finish this chapter in verses 22 and 23, it says, So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. We don't always know what's going to come out of our faithfulness. We don't always know what is on the other side of our yes, what is on the other side of what we have to push through, what's on the other side of the season that we're in. But it could have impact beyond what you even know. We said a couple weeks ago, and I want to reiterate it today, that if Joseph's brothers never sold him to the Midianites, then Joseph never went to Egypt. And if Joseph never went to Egypt, he was never sold to Potiphar. If he was never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife never falsely accused him of rape. And if she'd never falsely accused him of rape, then he was never put in prison. If he was never put in prison, he never met the baker and the butler of Pharaoh. And if he hadn't met them, he'd have never interpreted their dreams. If, they had, if he hadn't interpreted their dreams, he wouldn't have interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And he'd have never become the prime minister and never wisely administrated for the severe famine coming upon that region. If he'd never administrated for the severe famine, then his family back in Canaan perished in, from the famine. And his family perishing meant the Messiah could not come forth from a family. If the Messiah could not come forth, then Jesus never came. If Jesus never came, then we were all dead in our sins and without hope in this world. We're grateful for God's great and wise plan. You don't know what is on the other side of what you might be going through today. And if you give up now, if you give up when it's just getting started, if you give up when it's hard and in the middle, then you're never going to see the good part and you'll never see the generations beyond that. And what happens from you sticking it out and doing what God's called you to do. You aren't serving God in spite of your past. You're not serving him just hoping to get far enough because of what has happened or what you've done or what's been done to you. Your choice to serve God and follow him and live passionately for him is for your future and for the future of generations to come. You'll never know what will come from your purposes if you give up in the middle. In John 16, Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples, and they're sad because they don't want Jesus to go anywhere. They want him to stay, and they don't understand how him going anywhere could serve any purpose because life is good with him there. Life is good the way that they think that it should be playing out. But here's the assurance that Jesus gives. 
John 16, verses 7 and 8 say, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. It is for your good that I go away. It is for your good that things don't work out the way that you think they should. And we don't have to understand it. And we might not. And it might be hard. And I would never negate what you're going through if you're going through something today. But I do know that if you give up now, then you won't see the good that God works all things together for. Joseph didn't think that this was what the dream that he had would turn out to look like. I doubt that when he told his brothers about the dream that he thought that years later he would be saving them from famine. The disciples couldn't imagine life without Jesus, but they hadn't seen the good part yet. They hadn't seen the advocate. They couldn't imagine anything better. If we're short-sighted, then we can only see now. We can only see what's right in front of us. We can only see the current circumstances that we're in. We can only see the unkind people, the fear, the worry. But you're just getting started. You haven't got to the good part yet. If you would, stand and join me all across this room. And I just want to pray for you this morning. Whether you are currently walking in a place that it feels like dark, or it feels like things aren't happening how you thought they should or how you wanted them to, or things are going great for you right now, that's awesome. No matter where we are, we're not done. Because God's not done with you yet. And can we dream and imagine what it is that he does have for us? Whether it's in a dark season or whether it's beyond that. Because what you have to offer is more than just for you right now. It's for generations to come. And God has good things for you. If you can just hold on and push through to see the light. So would you raise your hands this morning? It's just a sign of surrender as I pray over you. Father, I thank you this morning for this amazing, amazing group of people. God, I thank you that your intentions for us are good. God, I thank you that no matter what we walk through, no matter what we're going through, God, that you work all things together for good, God. And we are all called to you. Lord, help us to love you. Help us to grow in our intimacy with you and to be open, God, to not hold anything back, but to be fully surrendered to you. Help us to push through the hard things, God, so that we can see the good stuff that you have for us. Help us to be fully surrendered to you, Jesus, in all we do. I just pray your blessing over each one today, God. You're so good. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Radiant Life, I hope that you are encouraged this morning that God has such good things for you. And I'm so proud of you. Keep pushing. Keep holding on. Find what intimacy with him. Man, it's going to be good. So I pray you all have an amazing week. I pray that it's 
awesome that you come back with testimonies of what God is doing and have an awesome week. So be careful what you watch this week. Be careful what you listen to and be careful what you talk about. Savor the presence of Jesus. Have an awesome week. Have an awesome week. Have an awesome week.